0: I'm at Weatherspoons in Finchley Road with Paul. Hello Paul.
1: Hello Ed it's nice to actually be in the same room with a microphone instead of at far away places.
0: We're here about half full Weatherspoons half five uh, in the build up to the game. The atmosphere is certainly building already.
1: Yeah absolutely there's a a very nicely noisy table just across from us. They've busted out the songbook already. I'm not sure how much involvement Roy Keane and Eric Cantona will have in this game but highly appropriate to hear their names sung.
0: uh, Right now what are you feeling about the game? Nervous, I think. Nervous is... Uh, I, I, I don't have very high expectations, as we said on the pod last week. Who knows? I mean, you know, you get more enthusiastic through the day, don't you? The anticipation is building. There's a massive buzz going around. Obviously, there's a lot of reds in town.
1: I came up to London. Uh, my dad lives in London, so I was hanging out with him. So I had to get from Euston to Chelsea, enemy territory today, and then uh, across up here to uh, Finchley Road, where we are now. And I've seen so many Barcelona fans actually today. That's much more than I've seen Reds. But as soon as I got here, I was like, oh, Reds. That's why I've kind of... I've been really uh, weirdly confident about this game until I was at Westminster Tube Station about half an hour ago at the top of, like, a really steep escalator where you could see the walkway underneath the escalator, at the bottom of the escalator. There's one Barcelona fan on his own just ten Messi on his shirt. I was like, oh, wait a minute.
0: (laughs) Wait a minute. Actually, this is going to be a really difficult game. So I'm here at the Weather Springs in North West London with Owase. Glad you can make it down. It's uh, getting noisy already and it's only five o'clock.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's good to be here. The atmosphere is nuts. Hour and, what, two hours away from kickoff, And yeah, great atmosphere.
0: You, you've come along to this must-gathering. There's going to be about 600-odd people here, I think. What are you hoping for out of the uh, the night this evening? Uh, a win. Some happy crying. didn't got a prediction for the game yet? 2-0 or 2-1 to us. I don't, I don't really think we're underdogs simply because we're the
1: best team for the last five like last five years we've won more matches than any other team in Europe full stop and Barca have just been known as the best greatest team ever in the last two three years maybe we have declined in quality but I think as a collective we've got a lot better so I'm here with Duran. how you doing Durin?
0: I'm good thank you I'm confident
1: are you so so let's get your prediction on record I'm gonna go one nil as for scorer I'm gonna go Hernandez just because it would cap off the most perfect season for him So I'm with the famous sleepy Nick. Nick, how are you doing? How are you feeling?
0: Nervous, to be honest, but I've got a real feeling we're going to do it. I think that's the main thing. Barcelona, overwhelming favourites, but they've not met Manchester United yet.
1: What's your basis for this confidence?
0: Well, as I say, I mean, obviously slightly nervous given arguably one of the most attractive teams we've ever seen. You know, credit to them, credit to Barcelona, and, and I think... If we do go for it tonight, we play Hernandez and we exploit the wing, I think we can do it, you know. Let's get it all out wide. Let's get Valencia in the game. That's the basis for my confidence. just about to play the National Anthems, five minutes to kick off, what are your thoughts now? It's been an incredible
1: uh, hour or two in Weatherspoons in Finchley Road, something I'm not sure I ever thought I'd say. Um, the team's pretty much exactly the team that you and I both wanted, so for once Sir Alex agrees with us. I, I'm already losing my voice, fantastic atmosphere in here, I'm so
0: excited and of course like massively unsure about the result final prediction before kickoff final prediction you're sticking to your guns United are going to win I don't know why but what what are you feeling now I think United are going to win 2-1
1: uh, 15 minutes in, Pedro's just missed something akin to a sitter. An
0: incredible first 10 minutes from United, but Barca have come back into it. I don't know how United would keep this intensity up. That's the that's the key, isn't it? Press high, press quickly. That's happened. It happened in Rome two years ago. United did that. It was intense, and it dropped away after their first goal. And that's that's why United got to guard against now. 30 minutes in and we've just seen a replay of the Pedro goal. Sort of painful to watch. But it's drawn towards the ball, left the space. It's a really basic goal. Fergie will be and ought to be furious about that because for the brilliance of Barcelona, that's just schoolboy. Yeah, I mean, I guess their movement
1: forces you into schoolboy errors, doesn't it? Because they're, they're so mobile when they attack.
0: Saw any of it by the net bulge, and this pub goes mental.
1: It's going mental in here right now. We're 35 minutes in. It's Barcelona one, Manchester United one. The goal, United's goal, very much against the run of play, but incredibly exciting. I'm now sitting on a chair which is very wet because the man's felt a lot of drink on it whilst jumping around, but I don't mind one little bit because it's uh, one all. Darren, just tell me what you think about the first half. All right, first thing coming to my mind is that actually we've been generally spot on. I think one defensive lapse, their goal, which was a bit too easy. Otherwise, I think we'll be pleased. We put in a game plan and, it, and it's worked. Ultimately, my overriding thought is Rio and Vidic are showing why they are considered the best in the world. Look, Messi's a phenomenal player, but usually he hurts teams much more than he's doing right now. Absolutely, Nick. What do you make of the first half? Well, it's similar to what Darren said, really. That, I mean, they've come out and they've dominated possession after the first 10 minutes, similar to what we in Rome of course but I think the lads have done brilliantly I think it was always going to be about where we were off the ball and in that sense Carrick, Giggs, Valencia all superb in their positioning what a response
0: and and, and great great work from Giggs to, to really play that simple pass what a goal Ed's first half as you can tell I'm losing my voice I'm not sure I've ever seen a bar go quite as mental as that when Rooney scored it's first 10 minutes United right in them in their faces pressing hard pressing high pressing fast exactly the right thing to do they've relaxed they're cut open completely Vidic watching the ball not watching the man but it's a great move to get back in it and and out of nothing as well it's a Barcelona throw and, and United scored it's still definitely possible obviously it's
1: incredibly delicately boys, but we
0: could definitely win this. So the sounds of Northwest London's weather spoons there are a most random place to hold a united party but it was a it was quite a party and magnificent atmosphere obviously everyone went home disappointed i guess we uh ended our little montage there at half time because basically the game ended for us at half time right paul
1: yeah it's sort of you know a bit of eastern european communist era reporting there going on we drew with barcelona 1-1 and then the second half happened but we won't pay too much attention to that right yeah yeah <laughs> as soon as messi's goal went in it was all over it really it really felt like it. It's interesting. I was thinking about how wildly Messi celebrated that goal, and I do wonder if there was a sense that it was there was a real next goal wins atmosphere. I mean, it it was very poised at one point that game. In in hindsight, it feels like we got completely battered because well, we got completely battered. But at one point, we were definitely in it.
0: Well, right. Clearly, clearly, we equalised, and, and even if that was against the general run of play, I mean, any goal against Barcelona is against the general run of play because. They they keep the ball so much and so often. I, it was just that it was the nature of them keeping the ball in the second half was different. It was in the different places, wasn't it? It was much higher up the pitch. It seemed much more dangerous. United created almost nothing, or nothing, literally nothing. There were no chances for United, at least not a shot on goal. And I, I guess that yeah, at least at least we felt like we might get some something in the first half. I mean, certainly with Rooney really scoring and a and pretty good goal it was for United as well. Yeah,
1: it was it was fantastic. I've, I feel like because we obviously do our podcast at the end of the week there's there's been a huge amount of post-mortem on the game hasn't there as there would be on a game of this magnitude but a lot of the discussion has focused around whether United got the tactics right at OT is my home there's a lot has been made of the tactics in the final and he'd like our thoughts on on the tactics and whether a a different approach would have really made any difference and I mean it's very clear he picked the exact starting 11 we hoped he would pick
0: yeah yeah I, I I don't know what Fergie could have done differently, to be honest. As we, as we said last week when we were building up to this game, I think if, say, Darren Fletcher had been fit or, or he'd play Anderson, uh, Hernandez wouldn't have played and, and Rooney would have been up top on his own. And Rooney was the only person who actually came back into midfield and gave us some semblance of, of possession. So I, ju- I just feel that the game would not have changed much had, had uh, an extra midfielder been in there, an extra sort of destructive midfielder. It would have just me- meant that Rooney was even further away from from the play and, and we'd been trying to get the ball to him and we'd had less quality in midfield and that was the problem, right? We were just completely overrun by their quality in midfield every time we got the ball uh, we gave it away under their pressure and they, they do press really well but you know, United are clearly not technically good enough to keep the ball under that kind of pressure, incredible really and one of the biggest problems and we, we said at half time there when when we were chatting at the game that uh, every time United got it in the fullback positions that, that Barcelona were hunting in packs and we weren't able to get it out and so we actually lost the ball in very dangerous positions on quite a few t- occasions so I, d- I don't know I think the biggest thing uh, and uh, we had a little bit of chat about it 15 minutes in didn't we uh, was United were pressing I hadn't I don't remember United Barcelona giving away the ball quite so often as they didn't know that first 15 minutes United did exactly the right kind of thing they they pushed very high up the pitch they took a risk by leaving a lot of space behind the back four they compressed the game and they pressed and and they got the ball and that was exactly right and it just disappeared after 15 minutes And it's exactly what happened in Rome, and and I think Fergie will have a lot of regrets about that, and I think the players will do too, and and it's easy to say, well, Barcelona are magnificent, but we did nothing uh, 15 minutes onwards to really counter that.
1: Fergie cut a pretty forlorn figure on the touchline. He looked full of what can I only be described as a kind of impotent rage he couldn't do anything to change the way the game was going there wasn't a substitution available to him there wasn't a change of tactics available to him that would have undermined what Barcelona were doing I mean you said that we didn't do anything to stop them being brilliant but I think just at some point the game went in the direction it was supposed to go based on the relative merits of the players the three goals all came from defensive errors although that's incredibly harsh given that I think Barcelona's whole system is basically designed to make defenders make errors.
0: Uh, yes, uh, and they do. They do shift the ball around, and they just uh, and they're patient enough to wait for the uh, the opposition to make those kind of defensive errors. And it's all about shape, isn't it? And and uh, United got out of sync on on quite a few occasions. So the, the first goal on the Manu Vidic, pretty horrendous error. He followed the ball, and Patrice Evra didn't tuck in. And and so I don't know who you blame there. It, a, a bit of both, I think. But but um, very very poor goal to give away. The second goal no one closed Messi down and the ball's pretty close to van der Sar I've got to say don't, don't want to on his final game for United uh, don't want to attach too much blame to him but it isn't that far away from him and it was hit with some pace clearly but there, such a central position not you know 20 odd and a bit yards away from goal someone has to close him down so they're, they're two key moments and I mean it wouldn't have changed how superior Barcelona were but it, it certainly could have changed the details I, I mean look, it's not as if Barcelona haven't been beaten when they Incredibly superior. and We only need to look back to to Inter last year, or even the Copa del Rey Cup final. Yeah, I mean Hercules beat
1: Barcelona this season, didn't they? They they, they are they, beatable. They did
0: very very early, very early in the season. Yeah, but they they are beatable. Yeah, but but they were they were fantastic, and you know, I I,
1: I enjoy watching them. I'm one of those people, you know. I I think they're an extraordinary side, and I love 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 watching Messi play. Because
0: yeah, I, I I I I have mixed feelings about them. I, I watch a lot of La Liga. And um, in many ways, I, I I actually enjoy Real Madrid m- playing. At least enjoy their games a bit more than Barcelona. Sometimes Barcelona's tactic feels like actually a negative tactic because the opposition can't score when they don't have the ball, and there there's a lot of sidewards passing and uh, and but it, it's slow, 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 slow. Very, very quick around the box, and and that's where they're so destructive. And and their play sort of thirty yards and in is is uh, well, clearly miles better than anyone else.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And 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 it's messy for me he's he's because there is, there is the cynical problem with Barcelona as well in that one of the ways they kill games is by rolling around like they've been shot they've already got an incredibly frustrated opposition and they know how to add to that with gamesmanship which is really unfortunate because they absolutely don't have to do it you were n- not perhaps in the best of moods on our walk back from the uh, O2 centre in Finchley Road but you were saying I don't remember the Brazil 1970 squad doing that and then you went oh well in fairness I don't really remember but the Brazil 1970 squad um, but 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 it is a shame isn't it that they, they do all that rolling around although it wasn't it wasn't so bad against us last weekend which in a way is because they just didn't need to
0: yeah I mean in the last 20 minutes of the game I'd say it started happening and, and it, it is yeah it's incredibly frustrating to watch that is and, and for me it does spoil their legacy in a way because it's unnecessary the worst criminal is, is of course Busquets uh, followed you know, shortly by Alves but I'd, I have to say I think uh, Xavi and Iniesta do it as well not so much Messi actually he's he's pretty good at getting up but uh, yeah a lot of rolling around pretending to be devastatingly injured Uh, one of the best moments of the game of course when Busquets got it full in the face from Michael Carrick and one of the first times in Busquets career that he's actually justifiably held his face in pain
1: but most, he quite quickly wasn't holding his face anymore while he was rolling around in a great a great ironic twist
0: that's one of the frustrations of watching Barcelona and it does happen in most games they play
1: yeah it it, it is a shame but, but Messi sort of makes up for it but like is that enough about the Champions League final I don't know what to say about tactics I, I think we if, if he hadn't gone for it I think it would have just gone
0: disastrously wrong in a different way it, yeah we, we don't have the players to to play as Real Madrid did I mean I, I suppose we could have we could have tried what Real Madrid did in, in that semi-final we could have pushed Ferdinand into midfield brought in Chris Smalling at risk Darren Fletcher really compressed the centre in midfield and, and played a whole bunch of defensive players and, and just basically played Rooney up top on his own uh, with no one out but but that's really the only other option yeah and and we are just not as good as Barcelona I no, this is the truth of it but and that's the question isn't it so what is the ambition I hate to use that word but it's you know it's, maybe it's a good one here what is the ambition of United now is it to try and close the gap because there are relative levels of gap closing we can do here if, it, if it's we're happy with the fact that we made a Champions League final and we won a Premier League by nine points so are we happy with that so is it a a bit of evolution this summer or given that so many players have either retired or will be leaving are we going to replace them with players of better quality so we actually upgrade the whole quality of the United squad in some kind of attempt to get a bit closer to Barcelona
1: well I mean I think we have to really don't we because we've lost a fifth of our initial 25 assuming that whereas Brown goes we have lost a fifth of our 25 man squad uh, from the beginning of the season and some of that has been incredible quality I mean Skulls, Skulls has retired since we last recorded a rank cast and I should get it out of the way by saying he's one of my favourite players ever I think he's the best English midfielder of his generation and I think if you listen to all the anyone that's paying any attention to Man United has probably read pages and pages and pages of quotes from the best players of the last 20 years saying Scholes is the best player of the last 20 years but he's not had that kind of impact this season so I guess losing him now is not the blow that it was but basically we've already lost Paul Scholes. You know, we had already lost a player that could have been Paul Scholes in that
0: Champions League final. And we've got we've had no one to replace him. No, absolutely. And, and it's been a problem for at least two years of us recording this rankcast, cast, hasn't it? Absolutely.
1: And if he doesn't replace him this summer, then we're still going to be incredibly lacking in the central midfield areas. The transfer speculation, De Gea seems like it's somewhat of a done deal. The teenager from France, what's his name? Raphael Varane. Yeah,
0: he's coming in, but that's a one. For the future type signing, yeah, he'll probably go back out on loan. I think to France. Uh, well, that's the talk at least. I, I mean, that's not actually usual for United to do that, but but it, it seems to be the talk. And then Ashley Young won't go away. No, that's that's done. That's done. I, I I think. I mean, we do need extra an extra body in in wide midfield. I mean, obviously uh, Valencia's injury and in Park was out for a long time with injury, so we were actually caught quite short in wide areas for some time this season. So we do need another body. He's one of those players. Uh, I mean, someone said on Twitter this week. Uh, i think it's bearded genius actually it said you either want to buy players in the hope that they'll upgrade themselves to the level of united squad or a player that will upgrade the level of the squad now i would hope there's more of the latter this summer but young's definitely more of the former i mean he's he's a good player and uh i, I wrote a piece like three months ago when i when i kind of felt that the deal was done and and saying that it's probably he's probably a worthwhile investment i mean it's, he's not super expensive he you know he'll score 10 goals and make about 15 goals a season he's very consistent in that um, respect where United play him I don't know because he's actually been better from the central position rather than the wide left but I think that's what they bought him as cover for for the wide left position something slightly changed my mind about
1: him because I've been a bit down on that signing although it it makes a lot of sense because he can play left and he can play right and he can play in the hole which is really useful to have around tactically and the thing that I was thinking is he really did make the step up from Watford to Villa which is a big step up he made that pretty seamlessly so, potentially, he, he he could make a similar size step up again and find himself a useful part of the United squad. But, obviously,
0: he's not a player that in, improves the first team dramatically. No, he's not. He's not. And, and that's a, a kind of shame, really, because I do think for those big one-off games, for those knockout games, that's what you need. It's 1-11. to 11. I mean, United's got a very strong squad, and that's what wins you the Premier League. But I don't think he would have made any difference in the Champions League final.
1: No, I, I agree, although you never know because somebody could have a brilliant game. I mean, Valencia had a pretty poor game under very difficult circumstances, but he, he didn't perform to his level. Chicharito got himself caught offside an awful lot. So maybe somebody having a really good game, because Rooney, Rooney had a good game, but he was really the only one. Apart from, I guess, Rio had a pretty good game. But some, someone attacking having a good game might have made a difference. But I know what you mean. It's he, it's not a level of quality that was going to terrify the best in Europe, is it? Uh, and
0: maybe, maybe yeah, that will happen later in the summer. I have to say, with the cynical hat on, I'm not sure that it will. It will. Well, I guess we'll discover when we come back for uh, RankCast episode 76 in August, or say. So, I mean, you mentioned briefly there, Paul Scoves' retirement. I, I I think we should have a chat about that, don't you? I mean, as you said, uh, quotes from every uh, every top player of the last 20 years, saying that Scoves is the top player of the last 20 years. And, and I, have, I have to say, there's one thing that I really found quite frustrating about it. Really. As wonderful as all the video montages were and all all the quotes and, and everything pe- people were saying about Scholes. But for the last 20 years, he's been undervalued in England. And he, he had 66 caps. He walked away from England because he was frustrated being played on the left wing by sven and Eriksson in, in Euro 2004. And you can understand a player of that quality being frustrated because Eriksson was just wedded to this you know, rigid 4-4-2. And he, he valued the energy of Gerrard and the, the breaking from midfield of Lampard more than Paul Scholes' his technical guard. And that's that's it seems to me to just sum up uh, even though that's from a, a Swede seems to sum up the problem with the English mentality and I don't think Scholes has ever got the the credit in England that he he should have got even for, even amongst the players now he only twice did he ever make the Premier League team of the season only twice in in 17 years at United did he ever make the Premier League team of the season Let alone he was never shortlisted for a, 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 either a PFA or a football writers award and this is one of the most technically gifted ones. Well, I'd say the most technically gifted midfielder of the last 20 years in England. It's incredible, and I think that talks to the mentality of the English and the suspicion of the English about, uh, about technical players. I think the last manager who really trusted, apart from Ferguson, of course, who really uh, trusted Scholes, the uh, last English manager, was Glenn Hoddle, and, and he was an utter nutcase, but he was a technical player, and I think he understood Scholes.
1: I don't think it's fair to say that Glenn Hoddle's an utter nutcase, by the way. N- not, not at all. I think he's profoundly inarticulate about some... Some of his more esoteric ideas, and and that caused him to give the impression of being a nutcase. But I don't think he's a nutcase. I think if you look what he's done since leaving England, it, it sort of shows that. Yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's not perhaps a surprise that Glenn Hoddle is the only England manager that ever really understood skulls, because no England manager really ever understood Glenn Hoddle, did they? It, Jose Mourinho said only in England, just only in England would that the story that you just told of Paul skulls would only happen here. Yeah. And of course he had a manager. Who valued him as highly as any of those players that, uh, you know, your Xavis and Zidans that describe him as the best player they've ever played against and things like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, Fer- Ferguson, he, as as frustrated as Scholes was at international level, he was valued and happy and fulfilled at club level because he played for
0: his local team at the highest possible echelons. That was enough for him. And obviously, we've seen the Zidane quote and Xavi came out this week and said he was a complete player. Lovely piece on Francesco Totti's website about Skulls retiring. Great piece in Gazzetta della Sport about you know, headlined already a legend. It just just valued outside of these waters far more than inside but not
1: outside of Old Trafford no cuz no. cuz that's it, you know that's been his home and part of that whole siege mentality of the late 90s and early 2000s around Manchester United and England and the Beckham stuff and Paul Scholes you know united greater than england all, all that was fed into by by Scholes's lack of respect at international level and on the national stage in England but anyone paying attention, anyone who knows anything about footballers knows that he's one of the best of all time and the fact that he was not flashy in his personal life and didn't attract attention off the pitch probably affected his individual awards but in truth he was never in it for individual awards. He he was you know there's that famous interview with Rio Ferdinand after a game where Scholes as one man of the match where he says to be fair he's in the car already on his way home I'm not sure he's fussed about man of the match awards you know he, he
0: didn't even want to be man of the match let alone player of the season yes this is very true but he deserved it he deserved it and when when uh, we talk about the recognition i mean he will be remembered as a great at uh, old trafford uh, for sure in, in 50 years time of course he he still will be but if we're still alive i'm sure we'll still be talking about paul Scholes as a, as a great of manchester united and um but just maybe not outside old trafford and i think that's a real shame he should be up there with the, the very very best of of the 1990s and the 2000s but there'll be there'll be revisionism as well they'll
1: they'll he'll be one of those like a great art like all great artists not appreciated in his time but he'll be appreciated in the long term by the people that didn't give him the recognition he deserved because somebody will watch that Paul Scholes touches passes and tricks video we'll miss we'll miss skullsy but in fairness we've been sort of missing skulls and I think he poten- he has the potential to add an awful lot behind the scenes because you know you're a youth team player at Manchester United already an incredible situation and now suddenly Paul Skulls is going to be coached. You.
0: Yeah, yeah, and who, who better to teach technique than than Paul Scholes, right? And uh, he apparently got a very cheeky personality and you, you'll, you know, I'm sure he'll be very dedicated at that role as well. I, we, we talked about Glenn Huddle earlier and he actually famously got frustrated with players that weren't technically good enough uh, and a lot of the England players he, he became very frustrated with and, and uh, he wasn't very good at dealing with that and I guess that's going to be Scholes' challenge isn't it? He'll be working with a lot of players that aren't anywhere near his level and yeah. uh, and is he able to bring them up to the right level can he can he just get the best out of them it'll be really interesting to see because if he does perhaps the player who stands to benefit most from
1: it might be somebody like Ravel Morrison
0: yeah and I guess he'll probably I mean Warren Joyce has been working on his own with the reserve team it looks like Skulls may have a coaching role with the reserve team of some kind next season it's, it's going to be really interesting to see how that all pans out the summer ahead
1: we talked a bit about transfers but I'm going to ask you to put your speculative hat on now apart from from the players we've already talked about bringing in, who do you think is likely to be at Old Trafford at the beginning of next season?
0: Cynical Hat I'm afraid tells me that um, aside from De Gea Young and uh, Raphael Varane, I think they're all done by the way, those those three and I think they'll be announced probably about next week and um, aside from that I think there might be a couple of kids coming now, I don't think there's going to be this big name, huge money signing and for a few reasons, I mean I, I talked about Mod Rich and Schneider before I think Schneider that the finances of that deal are just they're just so mega that it it would make a you know, mark a big change with United, and so I mean United are going to be spending a little more than thirty million on Young and De Gea and Varane is depending on who you believe. I mean it'll be a stage payment thing, so it could be anything up to eight million euros that that won't all be upfront. So that that's a fair amount, that's a fair chunk of spending. There's some talk that United have about fifty million to spend. It's interesting, given there's 175 million in cash sitting in the bank, and will actually be recouped A lot of money this summer, I think, because I I think Cusack and Gibson and Brown and possibly a a couple of other squad players could go out and and bring in sort of 15 to 20 million pounds, uh, and uh, you know. So I actually think we'll end up spending net about 25. Uh, I just, I just don't see this hundred million pound spend. It, it doesn't fit with any of the history of the Glazer family to do this. Uh, So it could be completely wrong, and you know, I could go spunk it on on Modric, um, which I'm, you know, I'm sure. Ferguson, Ferguson's talked about Modric before so he's obviously a big fan and who wouldn't be but this, this is not a player who's going to agitate for a move and Tottenham are aren't in a position where they have to sell uh, even though they didn't make the Champions League final.
1: Well you say he's not going to agitate for a move but the noises about Modric won't settle down. I mean is it just because he makes so much sense on the pitch that that's why everyone just won't stop talking about him and it's just a sort of self-fulfilling thing you know the discussion's only really taking place because people want Modric there's no reality to moves happening behind the scenes or is it because you know there is discussion taking place at the moment I'm gonna say that I suspect that we will sign someone else this season I I don't know I don't know if I even think this but it just seems like at the beginning of of the whole history of the Rantcast in in what in Rantcast episode one we talked about what a terrible mistake it would be financially to sit on the Ronaldo money because you you can only pay down such a more percentage of the debt with that money uh, that it doesn't really make any difference to the big debt black hole whereas you could improve the first team so much by investing a substantial amount of money in a player that you'll end up generating more money in the long run through that investment which will end up helping you service the debt and surely all the excuses for not doing that have now gone we are surely in a position where we've lost so much quality from the squad that it's it's absolutely vital that we invest this summer I mean we had an incredibly successful season we've just had an incredibly successful season but the short Comings in Manchester United are playing for anyone to see I mean I just find it absolutely laughable when people say no we haven't regressed we just won the league by nine points we got to the Champions League final of course we haven't regressed well you watch five minutes of a Paul Scholes tribute video and you see the team that we had some of the teams that he's played in over the years and tell me that this is not a regression in quality in United at the moment and and I will I will laugh in your
0: very face yes well you know you, you you're totally right and you, you, uh, well, you're well you're right about the regression bit. I, I don't think the first bit the analysis of the making money bit is actually quite true because you look at uh, where United's money comes from it comes about a third in, in ticket sales about a third in commercial deals and about a third in media rights and the media rights uh, are largely fixed uh, there's some prize money but the difference between first and fourth is a couple of million pounds in the Premier League the, the difference between going out in the quarterfinals and winning the Champions League is not that much actually I, I don't think financially speaking there's a massive difference between between making the quarterfinals and the final of the Champions League and coming you know, second and third or first it's, it's not huge it's not material as uh, as economists would call it to United's fundamental prospects I think the rest is all just cream at the top which unfortunately as, as history tells us just gets reinvested into debt and doesn't get spent on the pitch uh, so I, I don't know that the Glazers would be thinking well we really need to get out and spend £100 million now to compete with Barcelona because otherwise we won't make any money I think what they're thinking is right okay well we're we'll, maybe we'll release some funds this summer because there's a lot of cash in United's bank account which there wasn't pre-Ronaldo by the way uh, uh, but we're, we're only going to do it because as a matter of club policy we're going to be buying young players that can be sold on that have a resale value quote unquote because that's value because you could actually see some return on those players or you know at least if if they fail you'll see something of a return maybe not on Bebe no one's going to buy Bebe but at least on some of the others
1: it's interesting though because if you get to the quarterfinal of the Champions League and finish fourth in Premiership four seasons in a row then you very start very quickly going to start seeing an impact on the commercials because United's commercial success is tied into their global fan base and the globe the size and ferocity of the global fan base is going to be hugely influenced by success
0: in a way that the local fan base obviously wouldn't be well so look the the amount of money United make from this this global fan base I mean they, they like club like to talk in all their fancy brochures uh, especially when they're issuing the bond of the 300 million you know, global fan base and they use that uh, in some of their commercial deals but but actually there's very little money that United generate directly from that global fan base I mean the fans that are off in China do not go and buy official United merchandise it's, it's a tiny fraction of 1% that is commercial stuff outside of the deals with major companies and sponsorships that's what I'm talking that's what I'm talking about, I'm talking about though. yeah well so but yes okay like if United dropped out of the Champions League and unsuccessful for years on end that that might make a difference but but you only have to look at Liverpool and the the deal they signed with Standard Charter and the deal they've just signed for the the new kit deal they're huge they're bigger than United and this is a, a club that also has a global fan base but just not as big as United so there's a recognition commercially that you can do these deals now and and actually you know the Glazer family have pioneered some of these kind of local exclusive deals and I think everyone else will follow I don't think that's going to massively change if United do not win the Premier league next season I guess my you know the overall point I'm making here is I don't think there's an economic rationale in the Gla- Glazers business model for spending 60 70 80 million pounds on upgrading United to Barcelona quality or nearer Barcelona quality uh, because that's what it will take because we're not going to get there buying some kids that could be good in two or three years time and I think Hernandez is an exception that proves the rule here you know he's he's come in and he's been brilliant his first season it just never happens that doesn't and in fact this scattered Transfer policy is, has largely failed. Right, Hernandez brilliant. Chris Smalling, or we can say uh, Grayson. He was actually twelve million pounds. So I, you know, you got to expect some quality for that. Uh, Obertan, uh, Bebe, Mame, Biram, Diof, all total failure. Manucho. Yeah, I, I think that often when people go on about the Hernandez
1: signing, as what an amazing signing the Hernandez signing was, what incredible value. But the truth is that there is a strong argument to suggest that that's yes, wonderful value for six. Minutes, not such great value for thirty-five million, which is the
0: combined total of players like that that United have tried to go for. They'll get some money back for Obertan. I, I will be uh, in, incredibly amazed if Obertan is still with United next summer. I, he's had two seasons. He's failed. He'll go back to France for a million or so. So they will take a couple, mil- couple of million loss on that. Bebe, no one would take him. I, I, I just, I mean, maybe mendez would do United a favour there. They still, still seem to be working with him. Obviously, he's a De Gea client now. Um, De Gea is a client of his now so yeah, you know, maybe he would move him on but there's no one going to pay 8.3 million pounds 9 million euros plus agents fees uh, it was in the end so you no, know, they're going to take a huge loss on that one. Dioff I'm sure they'd be glad for anyone to take him off our hands uh, I, I cannot I, I don't believe he'll be back with us I mean Macheda might go it's not like they spent any kind of money on Machado either and they'll probably make a profit on Macheda in fact yeah. and it adds they made a profit on Zoran Tosic which was incredible as well how, how dumb of Moscow to actually pay that much.
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's these things are all unfortunate. I I I don't know why. I you, you make lots of incredibly salient economic arguments about why we're not going to sign a big name player. I'll I'll be slightly surprised from the way the talk has been if we don't do something which um, improves the quality of our first team. One player who in quality improves the quality of our first team before the end of the year. It it just seems essential because the Premier League is not going to get easier to win. It's going to be much harder to win them. Premier League next season than it is this you would expect although there is a possibility that if Tevez leaves Manchester City it very much depends who they can sign because he's been instrumental to them and it looks very likely that he will leave Chelsea it's obviously going to hugely depend on who they get to bring in to manage the club whether that manager can pull them together within a season incredibly talented squad but all that turmoil at Chelsea can't be helpful I think it's still too early for Liverpool to really challenge for the title under Dalgley even if they have been very much resurgent under him, and even if I, I mean, Andy Carroll and Luis Suarez is an absolutely brilliant front two. I think you know, there's a huge number of goals in in that front two, and they're going to be they're going to be a force next season in the way that they certainly weren't this season. Um, Arsenal, I mean, Wenger's actually talking about spending money. He says this will be a very active summer for us, unlike recent years. So so that's interesting to see how that all pans out. So we could have another season like this season where we end up somewhat in the league by default you know I, we said we were going to do a review of the season we we won the league with an astonishingly wonderful home record and consistently absolutely excellent performances at home this is to take nothing away from the achievements of this squad of players because it's been pretty remarkable and they looked sort of down and out fairly early in the season dropped all those points away from home um, was looking really shaky but they kept it together in the run-in and really raised their game and absolutely demolished Chelsea Chelsea in the Champions League final and in the game in the league at Old Trafford. So there's been there's been moments of brilliance from this squad and it's got some brilliant players in it: Rooney, Valencia, Rio, Nemanja Vidic, the, the De silver twins, so promising, Hernandez, so promising. There's a lot a lot of really good things going on at United, but there's definitely noticeable weaknesses. I mean, just central midfield.
0: Yes, yes. Well, I mean, and I I think you characterise this season by saying that the home record has saved us, and and I d- I don't know whether you say United won the league by default but I, I think there's a fair argument for saying United were the least worst team of the of the major challengers and Ferguson rejects that notion, uh, he rejects any notion that this side is of a lesser quality than, than any of his previous sides, <clears throat> I, I think it has regressed and uh, I, I think a lot of our away performances showed that and uh, there was some, you brought it up last week actually, the, the 99 side didn't uh, gained you know, only a few more points away from home but I don't think I ever remember and it might you might be my rose tinted glasses here I don't think I ever remember the, the, that 99 side being so tentative away from home and they went out and they went to try and win games and they lost games as a result United were losing or drawing games by being tentative and never really being in the game the amount of times that our midfield was swamped uh, away at Sunderland Bolton Fulham and Everton early in the season where we just collapsed late in the game so I mean, we never really used to see this from United and, and that, that home record as wonderful as it is I just wonder whether you united could repeat it if we we played that season 10 times in a row would united only drop two points at home you know an awful lot of things went in our favor so if you if you say well some of the top rivals will upgrade we won't beat all of them. we beat all of them this season at home uh, if you say chances are we might lose one and draw one of games against the top seven or eight uh, that, that's a few points drop so we you know if, if if it's still going to take around 80 to 85 points to win the premier league next season united are going have to prove, improve away from home and I, I think that kind of characterises the season uh, I, I actually think it's been an overachievement there's a rather angry reaction from one poster on the website this week who I don't know whether he got the wrong end of the stick uh, I was praising Ferguson for I think he squeezed more out of this squad than, than could have been expected I, I think winning the Premier League by nine points reaching an FA Cup semi-final the Champions League final is more than could have been expected out of this squad
1: yeah I mean I I, I couldn't agree more that it's been an overachievement and it's in, in some ways it feels like like, Fergie's greatest triumph this season. It's been all about the manager. You know, it's incredible to think that Rooneygate was this season because he's mm. been so exceptional in the second half of the season, especially the, the final third. He's been one of the best players in the world in the final third of this season. And there's, mm. it's, it's exceptionally... It's a, just
0: a remarkable thing that that's happened. It's a real problem, actually. I was, I was given my ratings this week. There's no need to question my parentage or suggest I'm part of the female anatomy because I gave Rooney a six and not a seven. I believe he gave Rooney a five. A five? Well, okay, look, so my, my, I think I was thinking uh, three for the first half, nine for the second half, that's 11. Okay, I've rounded down rather than rounded up. Five, six, that's sort of average, right? Average. Well, I sort of think it's more like one for the first half, ten for the second
1: half. It's almost that polarised because, all right, well, you come out with the same score, five and a half. <laughs> he, he, he absolutely destroyed our club for about three weeks, Rooney did this season. It, it, it shouldn't be forgotten in all the wondrous plaudits that he's deserved, and, and his instrumental performances in the running. That he brought the club to the verge of some sort of internal meltdown. He 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 tried to engineer, or ended up accidentally nearly engineering, him a move to Manchester City. Mm-hmm.
0: He, he denies it, you but know. that was definitely true. Definitely.
1: Yeah. Um. Now he says, "What what a fool I was! What what a mistake that was! I can't believe that happened." And we, we've we've talked about this ad nauseum it's no surprise that a player like that would make mistakes like that. His Twitter account is a massive accident waiting to happen. It's still it's still boiling up. Last night he was having a pop at Liverpool fans and saying that Torres was easily their best player in the last 20 years and they'd all have been saying the same thing (laughs) a year ago. It's like don't talk to Liverpool fans on Twitter Wayne. It's not going to end well. But anyway the, the 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 somehow the Rooney saga managed to end well with all being forgiven and brilliant performances on the pitch and easily our man of the match in the Champions League final
0: yes yes. So that, I mean, uh, sorry to get all dry on this but the economics of that deal is mean, so astronomical and it will mean an upgrade in, in other places A, another reason I think that uh, United will end up spending on young players this season because, this, this summer because generally speaking they have lower wages and also the, the uh, it, it stops the spiralling wage inflation at Old Trafford which for all the talk of United being brilliant uh, you know, with the finances and all that is rising extremely rapidly at the moment and it's quite dangerous so that had that effect. And he blackmailed the club into a new contract. And so, yes, that was part of the reason why I downgraded him. And definitely a season of two halves for, for Rooney. And, and it was so abysmally poor in the first half and all the destructive things off the field. And he's, let's not forget how he played. He was terrible. He was utterly terrible. I mean, for a while, he couldn't, he couldn't, he just could not. He couldn't, his touch had gone. He couldn't see a pass. He, how many times did the ball just bobble off his foot? He was like a pub player.
1: Talking of controversial ratings, for Manchester United strikers, I think it's fairly well established where I
0: stand on Dimitar Berbatov. But I would have struggled to give him eight out of ten for the season. Premier League's top goal scorer, well, joint top goal scorer with him who shall not be named down at down at Eastlands. Uh, 2022 20, goals or 21, really. I don't think he the charity shield, do you? Or community shield, whatever it's called this week. He's had a fine, fine season. He's uh, if you just discount the games he didn't play in, like all the all the big games, all the, you know, all the important ones then then <laughs> if you just did a, just to scout the games the manager
1: didn't think he could make a contribution in yes. he had a brilliant season well then you should give Michael Owen more than three because if you count all the games he didn't play in he had a more effective season. I mean listen I love Dimitar Berbatov he, he played amazingly about ten times this season and well about another five times or something but he's had some pretty stinking games when
0: he's been on the pitch as well yes uh, um, he, he has so I, I mean look there, there isn't any science to this I, I have to say it's just it's just me making a call uh, you know writing this piece late at night so, and it's a bit of fun uh, and people do take it incredibly seriously which is which is nice I suppose in a way uh, so I, I think he we, we wouldn't have won the Premier League without him uh, I'm not an apologist for Dimitar Berbatov I, I, I love watching him play but to be honest I, I just look at the stats and uh, I, he's a player that should not have cost 30 million I think we'd have talked about him in very different ways if, if we'd actually got him for our initial bid which was about 15 million we'd have felt very differently about him uh, and and um, so, so, yeah, I am. I do feel a bit dispassionate about him sometimes. Uh, but he, we couldn't have won the league without him because he's scored more winning goals than anyone else this season of any player in any club in England. Uh, and, uh, and, you know, therefore he has earned an awful lot of points for United. And some crucial goals, some really crucial goals. And some, and, he, and at the right time, when Rooney was playing terribly, Berbatov was playing well. And it was really needed. And, and uh, absolutely, he's not picked for the big games because Ferguson does not trust him forming those big games because historically speaking he has not um and and uh yeah so maybe in in that context eight is generous and what did i give o- owen three well three i think the problem is with owen and and i think all our opinions cha- have changed since he's been on twitter and this is the power of the medium because he just comes across as a nice chap and and this week when he signed the new the new contract he was <laughs> brilliant uh, on twitter I- i've played in a poor team i didn't enjoy it i'd rather play less in a good team ouch yeah, <laughs> yeah it was kind of being widely reported uh but but, but look, fair enough, he, he knows his place and if he's happy with that, uh, there's some value to his experience and, and for sure that's why Ferguson signed him on, the experience and, and just, to, just to know that he could... You know, contribute something if needed, and and to have him around the dressing room with with some of the younger players. Uh, he has scored against. He scored against no one of any importance. The, the the highest ranked team he scored against is Bolton. But apart from that, he scored a couple against Scunthorpe, one against Southampton in the cup, and one on the last day of the season against Blackpool when they were defending with one player. Uh, his goals and his contribution have been nothing this season at all. No, I,
1: I agree. I was being a bit facetious about that, really. Um, I just think Berbatov is is just had a absolutely pure the s of a 7 out of 10 season the absolute essence of it because magnificent from time to time and really really ineffective at other times and I've, I've talked a lot about some of the reasons why he's been so ineffective at other times I, I do think it has a lot to do with the way that he's been handled and the way circumstances have gone for him the emergence of Hernandez couldn't really have been expected but but him and Rooney have had a, a real odd season together like like a Swiss clock where you know when one thing comes out
0: the other thing goes back in and, and the other vice versa they haven't had too many games where they've both been excellent, have they? No, and and you could also say that about Valencia and, and Nani in many ways. I mean, Valencia came incredible for him to come back uh, after such a, a just an awful injury. And you look at any of the close up pictures of his ankle, and it's just a total mess. And uh, just amazing, uh, real credit to the guy that he's and his determination that he's come back and played so well. And he's been absolutely excellent in the last ten games of the season. And and before that, Nani was brilliant, but couldn't really get in the side when it really all counted. And and so I guess you weigh up the the score for those two on, on that. I mean, Nani was the the United Players player of the season, because for two-thirds of the season he was absolutely outstanding. 18 assists before he was he was knocked out of the side, as well as for 10 goals, or whatever it was.
1: I mean, when all the player of the year talk was going on, I really thought Nani should have won player of the year at that point. You know, when, when Scott Parker got it, and whoever it was that got the other one, that I
0: can't even remember, because it was so underwhelming. To think Paul Scholes never won, never even got nominated for a player of the year, either writers or PFA, and Gareth Bale won that on the basis of two games but I mean
1: also the, the, that that just goes to show how irrelevant it is that Paul Scholes never won that because it's a stupid award that's voted for far too early in the season you know Uh, But anyway, Nani looked like he was the standout candidate for United's Player of the Year, for absolute certain, but you can't say that anymore. Well, we'll we'll just come on to our awards and see if you can say that. Sorry, spoiler warning, mine's not going to be Nani, but it definitely would have been if you'd asked me three months ago, um, because he, like Berbatov, kept us in it in, in the, the parts of the season where it wasn't going so well.
0: Yes, yes. Uh, and um, I mean, that's why it's all come together for United in the end uh, you know, to, to overachieve because enough players have played well uh, at the same time when it really counted and and really been helped uh, in the back end of the season with Ferdinand being fit. Uh, obviously, he missed so much of the first half of the season. He's still really important to United just while Smalling grows into his role and, and he's been very impressive in the in the games that he's played Smalling and, and we'll, we'll judge him slightly differently next season because of course he's got to kick on from here and I think if he had the same season again we'd judge him in a different way much much as Johnny Evans has had an inconsistent season and we've been very critical of him because it's now three years into his career with the club and and we're all kind of thinking well perhaps he should we you know we know he's talented he should give us a bit more than this Um, and and then uh, other squad players gigs has had uh, a pretty good season I mean the second half of the season he's been so composed in central midfield and really and we talked about lack of a creative midfielder and, and Legs has, Scholes' legs had gone by then. But Giggs at 37 kept on doing it and it put in some really fantastic especially against Chelsea. And, you know, a couple of really important performances there. Um, who else we talked? Anderson, inconsistent again. Gibson, terrible again. <laughs> Except for the Champions League semi-final when he absolutely bossed it. <laughs> yep, yep, yeah, uh, yeah yep, uh, Give him that. <laughs> so, so did Anderson here. Uh, three goals in his last two games. What a season he had. Three goals in two games
1: uh, was, I mean An- Anderson if, if Anderson doesn't have a much better season this season's his last chance isn't it I, I mean I think the, the way injuries broke the season just gone could have been his last chance but but the 11-12 season should be Anderson's last chance to prove himself at United I'm, I'm sure he'll be gone the following so I don't think he's going to go this summer but but he'll be gone the following summer if he doesn't make more of a contribution this season
0: yeah well I, I've thought it was his last chance for quite some time and I think actually I wrote at the beginning of last season a uh, piece entitled last chance for Anderson and Nani. Right. Uh, and, and apparently it wasn't his last chance because he got a new contract last year, uh, Anderson did. So. Um, God, I, I don't know. I just find him incredible. He's got the talent, but he's in many ways a fake Brazilian because he, he's just not. He's not the heir to Ronaldinho that he was kind of sold as. It's interesting. So in 2005, sort of FIFA Under-20 World Cup, or whenever he was one of the stars, he won the golden ball uh, for being the best player. The, the guy who won the bronze ball... Uh, for being the third best player was uh, Nuri Sahin who's just gone to Real Madrid and Dortmund's sort of absolutely outstanding deep-lying playmaker who probably he probably won't take over the Kaka Ozil role he'll probably play alongside Javi Alonso as a, a kind of deeper Pete with Sami Kadir as a deeper kind of playmaking player but he's a brilliant player and has progressed far more than Anderson in that time
1: I'm not convinced I'm really not convinced but we'll, we'll see next season he, he has shown a few flashes and, and it, it could still happen a man that's had no, not a brilliant. Season season uh, by his own as you said incredibly high standards Patrice Patrice Evra a, a mixed season from him a real sense of World Cup hangover but also just the sheer amount of football he's played he's played a huge he's played 48 games again this season and and last season he played pretty much every game didn't he he, uh, he hardly missed anything and then he was involved in
0: France's explosive World Cup or should I say implosive World Cup so so you're right I, I think it's a combination of two things I think it's a combination of the, the mental fatigue from the fallout of France where he was basically blamed uh, along with a couple of other players, but he was the last player to be brought back in. He he played just the one game for France this year, right at the end of the season, and and I, I think it was really unfair for everyone to point the finger of blame at him when clearly it was a collective uh, implosion, as you call it. And and the other one is fatigue. He he played over fifty games last season, barely had a summer off, he came back and has played nearly fifty games this season. And I think there's there's one school of thought that might say, oh, Fabio will challenge him next season. There's an also, there's also another school of thought that will say actually that would be quite good because I think everyone needs more of a rest. I mean, he's he's 30 now. It does start taking out a players. Uh, Fabio's emergence at the end of this season. That right-back, but clearly he can play as a right-footed left-back, uh, is a really good thing. I think Raphael, Fabio and Evra and, and O'Shea will play a few. O'Shea played a lot of games at the start of this season. I think Ferguson will be able to rotate them a little bit, sensibly, uh, to protect Evra because he, he I think he needs it. And um, It would be a real shame if he doesn't have a really long summer break now, come back fully recharged, mentally sound. Um, he obviously he always talks good game. Patrice Evren is eminently quotable and uh, let's really hope we get a, a much better season from last season because next season because uh, the season just gone it really wasn't that good so of course comes to the really big question here Fabio or Raphael who had the best well, season
1: well like everything almost everything else we've talked about today season of two halves because the first half of the season Raphael was magnificent wasn't he and Fabio looked a very peripheral figure but the end of the season Fabio's put in some great shifts my favourite to silver moment the, the famous game of seven defenders against Arsenal with the two of them absolutely tearing the Arsenal defence apart uh, from from a midfield position, one on the left, one on the right both of them in the middle, you know, all over the place that that was a real emergence for the De Silva brothers this season they they bossed that game and it uh, w- was lovely to see, uh, Fabio didn't make it all the way through the Champions League final pulled up with some sort of injury again, still looks very, very injury prone, they both do, Raphael perhaps a, a little less uh, I don't know, just breakable than Fabio, but, but they, they've, they've both had their, their battles with injuries you, you know what, you don't need to make one of them better than the other one, they're just a pair they just go together. It's brilliant. They're, they're, they're the De Silva brothers. They, they should get an overall collective rating for their impact on the, on the squad this season.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think in, in totality, Raphael's had a better season. I mean, it's easy to remember the last part because it's it's more recent. So, but I think, I think, so the middle part of the season, I guess he wasn't in the side to start the season, was he? It was mostly John O'Shea, but he, he emerged into the in into the United side through the winter and I thought he put in some really excellent performances and, and just much. Much, much lesser than naivety that we saw before from him. So uh, less time out of position, fewer really horrendous mistakes. Perhaps he learned from that that red card against Bayern Munich. And I thought we saw the emergence of of uh, Raphael as a, a genuine United quality right back, and obviously got a call up to the Brazilian squad as a result. And and then at the back end of the season, we, we saw Fabio's incredible attacking qualities, and he just seems to be seems to be very mature as a defender, and then has got a load about him going forward. I mean, you'd kind of if you just if you just took a snapshot of the two of them you you might say fabio is the more naturally talented um but it doesn't always work like that does it you you might have said that phil neville was the more naturally talented of the neville brothers as well but obviously gary had a better career because uh, for whatever reason he uh, he stuck to one position or he was more determined or just personality wise or he was luckier or whatever it was and, and it might turn out that way with the, the silver brothers too
1: yeah um although uh, long may they be one on the left one on the right for united the the something about the symmetry of it that I really, really enjoy. But the official Rantcast Best of Silver Brother of the Year award for 2010-11 season does indeed go to Raphael. So, Ed, your goal of the season, and I'm quietly confident that we're going to have to have a, a discussion where it was like goal of the season and goal of the season apart from that one.
0: Yeah, yeah. Well, and obviously, I, I think uh, for its drama and impact, it was uh, the one that went in off Hernandez face in the charity shield. No, 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 no.
1: Random of applause round of applause absolutely uh,
0: yeah clearly Rooney Rooney's overhead kick versus Manchester City uh, just for, for everything the the pureness of the strike off his shin into the top corner um, the power he hit it with the stage of the game uh, going into the last sort of 15 minutes of the game against Manchester City, uh, big rivals, local rivals uh, to win the games. Just stunning in, in every aspect.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's such an obvious shout for goal of the season. It's the, the one that goes through your mind instantly when you start talking about it. Um, it was funny on this, the penultimate match of the day of the season when uh, Alan Shearer said, and of course that's going to be goal of the season. And Gary Lineker went, hang on, we haven't announced that yet. You know, it's it like everyone knows that's goal of the season this season I- ironically it- in many ways it's not as good a goal as-, as some of the others that United have scored Rooney kind of bobbled the ball in the build up um, the cross spooned in off deflection and he did kind of catch it on his shin but something about the combination of all those things comes together to make the aesthetically perfect pure moment of footballing magic um, and it-, it was wonderful so what is your goal of the season apart from that one?
0: Well uh, I-, I guess and-, and maybe this is obvious too I think it's probably Dimitar Berbatov's it's Liverpool and he flicks it up or, or sort of controls it above his head and then and then not with the same kind of grace I guess uh, overheads it into the into the corner and stunning goal against big rivals at Old Trafford. Yeah,
1: it's it's sort of a bit unfortunate for Berbatov really that that um the the bit of commentary on that Berbatov goal it might be the MUTV commentary says we're going to be talking about that goal for years to come. <laughs> what he should have said is for weeks to come until Rooney scores a better one and then everyone will totally forget the Berbatov one. My, my goal of the season is also a Berbatov goal Um, it's not that one though it's the third against Blackburn when he scored five and he started the move from his own left back position um, and sort of sauntered the full length of the pitch while everyone's passing it around put himself in exactly the right place to rollick it in from uh, about the 18 yard spot a a beautiful team goal with with fantastic touch and vision involved from Berbatov so I I love that goal a game of the season what was your favourite game this season?
0: that's that's a tough one I, I mean maybe the victory over over Liverpool in the league rather than the FA Cup just because United were so good for about 70 minutes or so and then and then sort of let Liverpool back into it I mean I suppose you could say the, the thumping against Blackburn just because it was such a, a huge thumping and and, and disser against Birmingham and though Birmingham put up so little resistance in that game My game of the season I'm going to slightly cheat and
1: go for the tie against Chelsea in the final of the Champions League both legs of that combining to make a demolition of our closest competitors in English football I was so nervous about that game I I felt like we were almost underdogs for some reason I don't know why but no turns out we're just a lot better than Chelsea and it it was wonderful Mm. to see but yeah honorable mention and I think the official rantcast award goes perhaps to the game against Liverpool because it was so dramatic in the end and uh, amazing to see Berbatov get his hat-trick in that game
0: so uh, I guess guess the big award of the season uh, our player of the year I think I, I, I might have spoiled this one by doing my ratings the other the night and, and giving a clear winning margin to our captain Nemanja Vidic but I think he's just been outstanding this season almost a perfect season yes much
1: like Alan Shearer on match the day you only spoiled the blindingly obvious the only other person that even has a shout at player of the season I think is Van der Sar that they're the only two that have been consistently brilliant all season long all the other players that have been brilliant have also had periods of time where they've been ineffective but, but Vidic is, is my player of the season with with a, a close honourable runner-up mention to Edwin van der Saar he was named captain at the start of the season The Vidic was um, which was perhaps as you said in your piece slightly surprising given uh, Rio Rio's position in the squad Ryan Giggs you know lo- lots of other potentials but I guess Sir Alex wanted somebody that was going to play most of the time to be captain and he's risen to the mantle of captaincy wonderfully it was great to see him lift the trophy uh, contrary to the song that they sing about him he- he's not a bombastic type captain he doesn't go around screaming at the other players but he leads by example he's so consistent brilliant in the air an incredible last ditch tackle and he Rio and van der Sar is one of the best central defensive and goalkeeping combinations that has ever played the game together
0: absolutely yeah and it'll be key to United's season next year to keep them all together for as long as possible I mean oh well no stupid stupid comment because obviously van der Sar has gone but at least keep Ferdinand and Vin- together because they're a fantastic combination uh, v- Vidic stands out by miles for me I-, I think he should have won the Writers Award the PFA Award the United Award and he got none of those no he did get the Barclays Player of the Year Award which I don't know what that means does that mean that
1: when you pay a check-in you can also like tick who your Player of the Year is and
0: I'm not quite sure but, but he's got the one that counts he's got the the Ranked Cast Player of the Year Award well done to Captain Nemanja Vidic
1: we should send him a trophy yeah we should um, he's probably got enough to be honest we've had some shouts for award categories from listeners at written off underscore MUFC. Favourite skulls tackle? None of them. Definitely none of them. Best or worst referee decision? The best one was all the ones where they gave us the penalties. The worst was all the ones where they gave the other team the penalties or didn't give us or sent off our players. I think that's how it worked. Least improved player that would have to be Gabriel Obertan who's gone backwards. Even Darren Gibson uh, has put in a couple of decent shifts this season. Most improved youth player? I don't watch enough of the youth team to know that the player I've enjoyed watching the most does been uh, Paul Pogba, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I, I really enjoy him. He, he's got some way uh, to go before he's first team ready, in, in my opinion. And ditto Morrison, really. Uh, actually, I think, I think the one who's closest to the United squad is is Tunnicliffe, and I think he's a player that United fans, if if you haven't seen him before, will really enjoy. He's one of those kind of all action, constantly at you kind of players that that uh, will will do, and he'll he'll give a really good impression as soon as he makes a his first team debut debut because he, he's not going to give up at
1: um, McCartney best Moobs. I've got to go for my own best look-alike. That's that's ridiculously obvious. It's Raphael and Fabio. Um, best Twitter pair the Neville brothers. Uh, with an honourable shout to me and you, Ed. The um, on, anonymous award for this year's best kept secret that it actually wasn't Ryan Giggs who was that t- super injunction chap. Uh, the yeah no Smalling award for terrible interviews. It's named after the man. It's going to Chris Smalling with an honourable shout to Steven Gerrard for the noise. Um, uh, favourite De Silva twin we've we've already oh and he actually says in brackets that's an impossible decision he's right that the everyone knows that your favourite De Silva twin the correct answer is both uh, at Eton underscore Trey best signing of the season easily El Nino uh, Fernando Torres yep he, he successfully destroyed Chelsea well done agent Fernando I didn't know you were working for us all this time uh, after all it, it, it's, it's been a brilliant season in terms of output it's been amazingly fun doing Ranked Cast with you all season Ed I feel like I've paid more attention To what's been happening this season Than I ever have before just because of doing this Every week we've seen uh, Somewhat spectacular growth in our listener numbers This season so thank you so much uh, To everyone that's listened
0: It's been fun doing it and it's been Great getting the feedback particularly particularly We, we get feedback on on Twitter But, but also on the website and uh, a, few, a few very nice iTunes Comments this year and it's, uh, it makes It worthwhile doing it obviously we do it for the love, not the money. In all sincerity, uh, I really can't thank you guys enough for listening and
1: the lovely feedback. It's so incredibly appreciated, and I think we're pretty much committed. We've signed a, a one-season contract extension. Uh, we're on a rolling one-year deal at the moment, but we're definitely going to do another year's worth of these at least. In the summer, I guess I'll be tweeting occasionally from at utd rantcast. I'm sure Ed will be keeping everyone fully abreast of all the comings and goings and. Pretty Season activity on unitedrant.co.uk, twitter.com/UnitedRant, like United Rant on Facebook. There's plenty of ways of staying in touch with us over the summer months. So have yourselves a fantastic summer. Stay safe and happy, and enjoy this little break from the roller coaster that is Manchester United.